0: Too used to uh, because this is an incredible thing. Like I, I know that we have people from. Like all kinds of different places with the Lord and stories, and you grew up in church, and sometimes you you here because because it's the day to come and all that. But but I hope that that we don't just get over this because this is an incredible news. If if we like, some of you grew up here, you're just used to hearing about you know Jesus rose on Easter Day. But if we stop and think about what we just sang, we stop and think about what we are here to celebrate. That that Jesus is is a lot like it's 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 wild, really. Like we should be like. This is this is a story that we should like we, it should give us pause to tell, if it wasn't true. And because it is true, it should change everything. Like this is extraordinary, like supernatural history-pivoting news. It's crazy, amen. Like it's good, but and it, and it's, it's Jesus is what He has done. We just think about it, right? He's He was dead. Now He's alive. He listen. He is not just a good teacher. He's not just a good man. He's not just what some people want to follow, and and that's their deal. He is the God man. If we rewind back to Christmas, what we celebrated there is that God became flesh that he was born of a virgin that he stepped in he took on flesh and that he lived the life that you and I couldn't live meaning it was it was perfect we owed God a perfect life and we could never bring it to him we are sinful and flawed people but but Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live it was perfect and and then he died the death that, that we should have died he died in our place on the cross but then he got back up in a way that you and I never could. He beat death in a way that we never had hope to. Why? Because death and the grave had no hold on him because he had no debt to them because he was sinless, right? He hadn't given himself over to that penalty. So when he stepped in and gave his life as a sacrifice, because the grave didn't have any hold on him, he burst back out of it, right? And, and, and through that, man, like the 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 significance of Jesus getting out of the grave, the significance of him breathing his last on the cross, that, that the, the curtain that used to separate God and man that we, that we focused on, the Holy of Holies, and the process of atonement that we focused on Friday night is torn from top to bottom. Why? Because Jesus has finished the work. He has got, and then he gets out of the grave. Prison walls are, are, are torn down. Graves are open, right? Sin and shame and guilt and despair and hopelessness. All of them have to submit to this Jesus. And that's what we're here to celebrate. And it's an awesome day. And, and listen, churches around the world are full. People are, are here looking a little prettier than usual. Moms, good job. Moms getting everybody coordinated, right? Making sure everybody had outfits, shoes that fit, right? Did all the hair, did all the Easter stuff, dye the eggs, right? Dad's love on them today. Give them a break, give them a nap, right? So we're here, we're looking a little prettier than usual, but but and, and this is huge news, but what are we supposed to do with it? Like, Jesus is alive, like, we come and we celebrate on Easter, but is that what he got out of the grave for? So we put on some pastels and come and take our picture here at the church, like, and, and then, you know, eat some ham and hide some eggs later? Like, is that why Jesus got out of the grave? Well, no, it's not, but if we're honest, sometimes it it's kind of how we treat it, we kind of go back to life as usual. So what are we supposed to do with this? What is the resurrection supposed to do in our life? How are we supposed to move forward And. that? Rather than me talking, I just want to let Jesus himself tell us. So we're going to look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. As a church, we've been walking through this um, this sermon from Jesus in Matthew 5-7, through and we're going to wrap it up today. And here, Jesus gives a familiar story that Rob just read for us, a familiar parable, if you will, about the the two men building their house, one on the rock and one on the sand. And this is almost almost proverb-like, isn't it? It, It's simple wisdom. It's easy to affirm. It's one of those sayings that, that just makes good sense. Right? You, you, people say it, and, and you get head nods from everybody. It's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Right? It's, it's simple. It's, it's straightforward. Like, we've even had presidents quoting this over the years, talking about building the economy back and different things. Like, this is, a, um, th- this is something that, you know, again, it's simple. It's to the point. It's a- applicable in a lot of different circumstances, a lot of different conversations. But here, where Jesus uses it and how he uses it, it's so much more than proverbial wisdom. This is so much more than just some good advice on investing and making good decisions and and, and those sorts of things. This, the way that Jesus uses it, is about life and death. This is about eternity in heaven or hell. This is about life given, life found, and life lost. This is the most important stakes are on the line here when Jesus gives this At the end of his sermon, he's bringing us to a response. And so let's look at what he says. The first thing we see is everyone then who hears these words of mine. So if you haven't been here with us, you might not know what those words are, uh, but, but Jesus has been preaching. That's what the, the series is called, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus himself has been preaching on a mountainside. His disciples are seated um, you know, right near him, but then there's crowds. There's, there's hundreds, uh, maybe thousands of people that can hear him that are listening in as Jesus teaches. And, and if you've got a, a red letter Bible that, that has the, the words of Jesus in red, which has always been a little curious to me because these are all Jesus' words, but, uh, but what they mean is the words that he spoke verbally from his physical mouth when he was here on earth. If you've got one of those Bibles, this whole section is read, five through seven, because Jesus has been preaching. He's been teaching. And what has he been saying? He's been saying to these people, to these Jewish people who have been serving God and looking for a Messiah for years, generations, they've been told that that one day God would send his promised one and he would bring the kingdom with him. And what Jesus has been saying is that kingdom is here. His proclamation, he's been saying, it's here. Everything that's been building up in the Old Testament, all the movement, it finds its its culmination here, Jesus says, on me, the kingdom is present. He says, I'm the new Moses. We're going we're gonna to have a new kingdom based on a new covenant where there's going to be hearts transformed. There's going to be a new motivation to obey God. It's not going to be external from the law that you should just do this because it's the right thing. And, and No, it's going to be that we want to do this because we've been transformed from the inside out. We've been given new hearts. We have a new kingdom ethic, right, that, that he's going to be making for himself a new people. This is what Jesus is saying is I'm going to make a new people. And these people are going to live differently. These are going to be people who who relate to God as father because he has made them his children. And because we relate to God as father, we're no longer trying to get something out of the world that it can never give us. We're no longer trying to earn his favor by doing good. No, because we've been given his favor, it transforms how we interact with one another. We become a people who don't seek revenge we become a people who are more concerned about our sin than we are other people's sin. We we become a people who pray to God out of a joy of the relationship. We become a people who are fiercely committed to one another and to the good in the world, who are salt and light, who, who are more concerned about developing our character and our Jesusness than we are pointing out other people's mess. Like we become a people who are radically different people who show love, who, who show mercy, of people who keep promises, of people who live differently. So Jesus is saying, I've come to make a people, and this is how they're going to act. This is how they're going to live. But as he wraps up the sermon, he, he, he says, hey, but listen, the gate is narrow. The way is straight that leads to life, and it's hard, and it's difficult. And there's only a few who find it. But, but the road that leads to destruction, it's wide, and it's easy, and everybody's on that. It begins to move us to this, this decision time. So this isn't just a good presentation that we just enjoy like a TED Talk. Okay, Jesus isn't just giving us some good you know, thoughts for life that may or may not be helpful for you. You know, we don't listen to it in that same way. Jesus is, is demanding. The way that Jesus taught, is. we'll see, they're in awe. Like, oh my gosh, he has authority. The way that Jesus taught, the things that he said demands a response. It's not something you merely listen to and nod and then go back to life as usual. Jesus says there will be a response, and he says there'll be two people. There'll be two types of people: those who enter the narrow gate and those and, and find life; those who stay on the, the wide path and it leads to death; those who are truly with him, and those who are not; those who uh, you know hear his words and obey them, and those who don't. There's not a third or a fourth group. There's not like a nominally in, like people who are just like you know we're, we're kind of in. No, it's it's one or the other. Either in or you're out. C.S. Lewis. Put it this way in a famous quote that I'm sure pastors all over the world will be quoting today, but it's so helpful as, as, as we just hear from him. He says this, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that, that people often say about him, meaning Jesus, that, I, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You could shut him up for a fool. You could spit at him and kill him as a demon. You could, Or you could fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us, and he didn't intend to. So Jesus says there's two responses to this teaching, to this person of himself. He says there are those who hear and and do what he says, those who hear these words of mine and do them, and they will be like a builder who is wise and digs down and builds his house on a foundation or on the rock. Or there's the other group who hears these words and they choose not to do them, and they go ahead and build their home on the sand. Now, before we just kind of laugh that off, you've heard that before, right? And you're like, oh yeah, of course it would be really dumb to build a house on sand. Like even those of you not in construction, that doesn't make any sense. You're like, of course, that's not going to go well, right? But before we just kind of like write them off as, as idiots that nobody like would, would relate to, let, let's take a step back and, and see who Jesus is talking to. Let's take a step back and actually listen to the, the point of the story because the people listening to this would likely have been standing on some really, really hard desert ground. Okay, ground that, that for most of the summer months, even most of the year, would be really, really hard. Right? Like, it, it feels kind of like concrete. It's that hard, dry, sand, dirt stuff. And that that does two things when you're thinking about building a home. A, it means if I'm going to dig down any deeper, it's going to be really hard to dig. You ever tried to dig in that hard, like solid as a rock, hasn't rained in months kind of dirt? You, you, you can't. You can't get anywhere, right? So it's going to be really, really difficult to dig in that. And two, it's going to make it seem like maybe it's not even necessary, right? That, that maybe this is good enough. Okay, so these aren't people who are just blithering idiots that choose to build on like the loose beach sand. Some of, that's, some of y'all, that's what you're picturing. No, th- these are people who, who looked and go, ah, it's good enough. It's good enough, right? This, and so what Jesus is saying is these are people who think they have a good enough spirituality, a good enough religious uh, religious attitude toward God. These are people who these are not like. Listen to who he's talking to here. These are people who are listening to him. They're at church, if you will, right? They're on a mountain listening to a teacher, a rabbi, but but these are the people who chose to come and listen. So these are not the atheists. These are not the Buddhists. These are not the the Hindus. The people that are obviously not following Jesus. These are the people who are kind of in. These are the people who are, they would ascribe to Christianity. They they would ascribe to like, yeah, yeah, we, we believe in God. Yeah, we're, you know, we 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 vote that way. We, 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 we'll check that box, right? Yeah, I'm not a, I'll say I'm a Christian, meaning I'm not a Hindu. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not, like, I'm not anything else. So of course I'm a Christian. Like, these are the people he's talking to. Like, it's people that are listening to him in this moment that he's Speaking this word to that is saying, listen, you have a choice to make just because you're here, just because you're listening, just because you're born in Illinois, just because you vote Republican, just because you don't say cuss words around the preacher, just because you don't drink beer out in public. Like that doesn't make you okay. He's saying you, cultural, cultural Christians, people who kind of identify as such, you have a choice to make. Where will you build your home? So these are the people that, that they think they're good. Like, they, they've, they have a good enough mentality. And so a lot of the people that Jesus is listening to, I think it's a lot of the people that are here today that are filling churches all over our area today because, like, a lot of us, we don't, we don't think we need, like, that, that, the, the guy who goes above and beyond and really goes through the work to, to dig, right, to find that foundation, right, and to, to dig down to the rock. Like, he seems like a fanatic, doesn't he? Like you're rolling your eyes at that dude. The other dude that just started building's got his house done before this guy even digs down and finds his foundation. And, right, right? Like, it, it's laughable that somebody would put in that sort of effort, right? So so many of us, like, we, we're familiar with the God stuff. We're familiar with the gospel. Perhaps you've even been walked through how do you get to heaven and how do you avoid hell? And you've, you've ascribed to some prayer. Like, you're, you get it. You're, you're kind of in this good enough. Mind stage, right? You're not really interested in resurrection power. You're not interested in becoming a fanatic, right? You're, you know, you're here maybe because, you know, maybe it's just in case, right? Maybe you're here because it's just, you know, it's the thing we do on Easter. We show up, right? If if God's ever going to take role, it's going to be today, right? So I'll make sure I'm there. I can say that, that 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 I that I made it, right? or it could be that you actually believe that God is real and that he cares what you do, but you've deemed coming to church a couple times a year or living a decent life compared to the really, really bad people, you've deemed that as, as good enough, right? So many of you are here, you, you don't actually think you need Jesus to get out of the grave in order for you to live the life that you want to live. Like, seriously, if you're honest, so many of us think that if we can, like we, our, our lives are not in, in total disrepair and total desperation. There's some of you that that's true of you, and you've come to the right place. Jesus says, you're you're heavy burden. You're, you're barely struggling under your load. You come to me. I'll give you rest. You'll find life today. So absolutely, if you're here and you're barely holding on, you're in the right place. But, but most of us think we've got it figured out. Like, we're pretty good. Like, most of life is pretty good. If, and, and most of us think about it this way. If I could just get this, like, if I could just get this, fill in the blank. right? for some of y'all, like, life's pretty good. If you could just get to this, you know, level of income, which is, which is insight. i just get there. Then, then, then I'll be good, right? Then I'll, I'll have it under control. Life's not that bad. You just need to get, right, to this stage of parenting. Amen? Anybody else? Just get to the when they sleep through the night, right? Just get to whenever they're in school. Just get to whenever they can drive themselves. Just get to whenever, right? When they get out of the house. Whatever it is, right? If I just get to this stage of parenting, then we'll, we'll make it. Like, that's what you have your eyes on, these next stages, right? It, or, it, it, or if I can just drop this number of pounds, right? If I could just get to this you know, back to this size of, of clothing, right? And I got a diet plan. I'll get there after the holidays or, you know, at some point, right? So you, 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 there's these things we, we know we need, but really we don't need resurrection power to get there. We're just thinking, okay, that, that's what we need. So we're good except for, or maybe it's just, you know, we're pretty good except for this one kid seems a little on edge and I'm a little worried he's going to end up in jail, right? So we need a little help with the morality here. So we, bring, we come to church, right? Like, so all this leads us to, to be motivated to come to church and, and, and just, you know, it, it's a good enough. I, I'm there a little bit, right? I, I, like it's, it's a good enough sort of spirituality, right? All in all, we're okay. We're not really looking for super fanatical, you know, we're not really looking for resurrection power. We just need a little moralism, a little encouragement. So what comes to this church stuff, this Jesus stuff. Occasional doses, a loose affiliation. Now that's, that's good enough. But here's the thing. Here's what Jesus is pointing us to. That life that you're barely holding together, right, waiting just to get that next thing, get to that next goal, that life, sooner or later, maybe right now, will be hit with storms. Sooner or later, they will come. Jesus doesn't say if they come. He doesn't say build your home, right? And and listen, in good weather, both of those houses look equally good, right? When the sun's shining, you don't see the obvious like, faults with the house that's on the sand, do you? It's only after the storms come. And, and, and Jesus says the storms will come and, and it will rain on both of these people. It doesn't say, hey, build your house on the rock and the storms won't come. Everything will be good and easy. He says, no, build your house on the rock. And when they come and they pound this home, listen to the language here. He says, they built their house on the rock and the rain fell, verse 25, and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. Like, that's a harsh storm. A couple nights ago, it thundered and my house shook, right? Like, you, you know those storms where you're like, man, I hope this thing holds up, right? Jesus is saying, your life is like that. Whether you know it or not, whether you're willing to admit it or not, you will experience storms. You will get rocked. It, it There's only two types of people, those who build their house on the rock, those who build their house on the sand, but they will both experience storms. So the wise listener at this point is going, okay, who's my rock? Like, what does this mean? Where do I find that sort of security, right? Because we need something beyond this life, right? We need something outside of this world. We we need something that is not subject to the storms and the changes of this life, right? We need something that is transcendent, don't we? It's Easter. Like, that's the whole point. Jesus is transcendent. Jesus conquered the world. That's the point of the resurrection is that he says, I am that. I am life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is, I am the rock. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You Come to me. You'll find life. No other way leads there, but he has made a way. That's the whole point is that he, and that's what Easter does. It proves that he's not just a good teacher that's worth listening to for some moral nuggets. It proves that, that he is the hope in the midst of a hopeless and jacked-up and ever-confused world. That he is the light and the darkness, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that the, the world will conquer us. That's kind of what Jesus is saying: is the world's gonna pelt you and hit you and harm you and throw everything they have at you. Like you, you may may not be face to face with that reality right now, but at some point, a phone call, a doctor's prognosis, like you're gonna get rocked. Where's your foundation? Like, what, what, what have you built your life on? And Jesus says, you hear these words of mine, you build your life on me, and you won't get destroyed. Your house will stand. This is amazing. This is unspeakably amazing news because, like, this is what Jesus is saying. Like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, meaning I am the only one that you can find security in. The resurrection, this is like just like jesus's sermon here like what jesus taught in the sermon on the mount demands a response that's why jesus ends it with three different the narrow gate right true and false converts and then the home like home built on a rock home built on the sand because it demands a response and and just like that easter this story that we're celebrating today it's too good to just hear about it and then kind of give a golf clap and go on about our our lives, right? Like, can we just acknowledge for a minute how ridiculous it is if, like, if we're truly acknowledging and even kind of believe that Jesus was resurrected from the grave, that if what we do as a culture is put on our nice clothes, take some pictures, and then go back to life as usual tomorrow, that that's ridiculous, isn't it? It doesn't add up. I'm not trying to make us feel bad. I'm just saying we need to honestly evaluate that this is, this is silly. Paul says, if Jesus didn't get out of the grave, y'all should be pitied. Like, it's a silly way to spend your Sunday morning, frankly. Jesus didn't get out of the grave, but he did. And so it demands a response. It demands that we do something with this information. It should stop us in our tracks and, and cause us to go, okay, then What? If this is true, then what? what? What do we do, right? Because the point that you see here is that compel, it, it, doesn't be, it doesn't compel us to become a better rule follower. The news of Jesus, this, this isn't like, okay, now try harder, do better. This isn't about the good enough kind of people versus the overachiever. He's, Jesus isn't trying to take the people who chose a good enough approach to their walk with God and try to get them to become a really overzealous like religious lunatic, holier than thou kind of person. It's not the good enough versus the really try hard people. No, that's the that's the opposite point of the gospel. That wouldn't be good news. That would be you got to try harder, do better, and only the varsity is going to make it in. That's not the gospel. So let's fast forward a bit. We're gonna, okay. So these people, like let let's let's see how they respond. Okay. So Jesus says there's only two types of people: some who hear these words and do them; those are the ones who build their house on a rock. Those who hear these words and don't do them. Verse 26. Uh, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that home, and it fell. And that was the great fall of it. So that's, that's the story. How do they respond? Jesus says there has to be a response. What's their response? Verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their own scribes. So, so what's the response? Well, they're amazed. They're astonished. They, they admire Jesus. They go, man, he's not even referencing some other rabbi. He's just teaching like it's his own authority, which is good and right. Like, that's a right statement from them. They're right. He is teaching with his own authority because it's his, it's his to teach. But that's, that's not obedience, is it? Matthew's careful to, to not tell us that these people chose obedience. They, they didn't take his words and do them. They, they simply admired them i think that's what a lot of people in a bible belt culture do we 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 admire jesus we admire god we admire the values of christianity right but to submit to god to let him have authority over our life to let it change who we are i mean we don't have to go that far what i'm doing is good enough right james says okay you believe that god exists that's good so do the demons Congratulations, right? The demons also believe, and they what? They shudder. So this is not something we take lightly and flippantly. But but I think their response is real similar to to so many of ours. So many of ours growing up here in this area, like we we're, we kind of have a similar thing. We admire Jesus, we respect. We we're we're like when there's a good preacher, we'll go listen to him. It's a good service today, Pastor, right? Like we'll we'll, we'll do that. But it doesn't go any further than that. And, and Jesus says. That's not how this works. So we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt just a little bit because their story's not over. This is, this is live and unfolding. Jesus is proclaiming who he is. His authority is there. But listen, as Matthew goes on, Jesus is going to go on to prove that he has the authority to say, that he ha- say the things that he's done or say the things that he's said because of what he's done. He's going to start healing people. He's going to start bringing people back from the dead. He's going to start telling the winds and the waves to stop doing what they're doing. He's going to start displaying his might and his strength by setting people free, casting out demons, telling dead people to stop being dead, paralyzed people to get up and walk. Jesus is going to start showing his power to back up the claims here by doing his miracles. And then as you keep going through Matthew, it ends with Jesus on the cross. And then it ultimately ends when Jesus breathes his last. As I said, the, the, the world goes dark, right? It, it, it thunders and it shakes. Graves open up. The, t- the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. And Jesus is placed in a grave as the work of salvation is finished. But then, three days later, he gets up. He gets out of the grave. And that's how the story ends. That's the fullness of it. That's what we have to reckon with. They have a part of it. They see this amazing teacher in this moment. But we have the full story. We have the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. right? Like We know how it ends, and we have to reckon with that. We have to deal with that. They were required to give an account for what they heard that day. They were required to make a choice. We are as well. And it cannot just be a yawn and go right back to life. That, that's not one of the options, as C.S. Lewis said. So let's fast forward. Let's go to the book of Acts as we wrap up here, and I want you to hear from Peter. And if you know Peter, Peter's a guy who's who's, walks through this transformation process. He's a guy who followed Jesus. He was all in until it got hard. Jesus got arrested. And then Peter got accused. Hey, whoa, whoa, weren't you with him? Don't you belong with him? Peter's like, no, 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 I don't, I don't know him. Three times in front of a little girl. No, no, I don't, I don't know him. You know the story. Peter denies Jesus. He's a coward in front of a teenage girl. And then something transforms him. That something is the news of the resurrection. And then, G- and then Peter is standing there In Jerusalem, in Acts two, knowing like having had conversations with Jesus after watching Jesus die, he's had conversations with Jesus. As have many other people, Paul writes at least five hundred plus that were still alive years later. You could go back and, and and talk to eyewitnesses who spoke to the resurrected Jesus. Peter is the one who's one of the ones who's closest to this whole deal, and he is transformed from a coward into a bold preacher. And as God sends his spirit on the people in the, in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, what happens in that moment demands an explanation. It's a, move, it's a movement of power, and everybody that's there is staying around to see what just happened. It demands an explanation. And Peter gets up in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, to give that explanation. And he's going to walk through and connect these dots. He's going to show them that this Jesus that had been uh, put to death was not just a good teacher that we should admire and maybe take some notes from. That he was the God-man. The God-man whom they killed, who they put in the grave, and he got back up. And he demands their response. So Acts 2 um, Verse 22 says this, this is Peter speaking to a huge crowd of people who just witnessed the coming of the Holy Spirit, people speaking in tongues and everybody understanding them. It's this this movement of power that demands an explanation. And and Peter says this, men of Israel, he says, hey guys, here's the deal. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works. He says, Jesus, this is about Jesus, he says. The, The guy you know who did all the mighty works and wonders and signs. You've heard about him. His reputation precedes him. You know who I'm talking about. God did a lot of stuff through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter's saying, he was delivered up, but it wasn't by accident. Y'all didn't beat Jesus. Jesus didn't lose. You didn't catch Jesus off guard, and then he ended up on a cross. No, it was all in God's plan, but you delivered him up, and you killed him. You crucified him. He was killed by the hands of lawless men. That Jesus, Peter said, God raised him. God raised him, God brought him back to life, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why? Because he had no sin. Death exists because of our sin, and, and death has a permanent has an absolute grip over all of us. We all will pay that debt unless we put our faith and trust in Jesus. and what what Peter is saying is... God did something in Jesus. He got him back up out of the grave because he could not be held by it. So Peter connects the dots for them and says, this is what's going on. This is not news that you can just go on like here and go, okay, cool, and go on about your life. This is history pivoting news. And he goes on to say, we're going to skip to verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He says, you need to know that in the resurrection, God has made for sure, for certain Jesus to be Lord and Christ. Lord means boss. It means king. It means the one that we defer to, the one that every knee will bow to. Whether we like it or not, whether we proclaim it or not, whatever religion we uh, you know, ascribe to, it is the one that we will all stand before one day. Jesus has been made both Lord and Christ. And that's whom they crucified. And and, and listen, this is how they respond. This is a right response to the gospel. This news demands a response. And this is what they do. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? You see, this is a totally different response from the guys on the mountain. that go, Man, it's really good. That guy teaches, like, with his own authority. Like, he might be a new leader, a new rabbi. Like, get him a book deal. It's good. He's got podcasts. I'll follow him, right? Like, they're astonished. They admire him. That's different. These guys go, Whoa. Whoa. What, what do we do? What do we do? We see it like their hearts were arrested with this truth. They were captured. And and listen, that doesn't happen with mere verbal language. That happened because the Holy Spirit was present that day. That happened because God was present that day and had gripped their hearts. And so some of you are here and you know that that's you. You know you've had a good enough mentality, a good enough approach to religion and, and, and to Christianity. And God is gripping your heart today and confronting you with what are you going to do with this news because it's not something you can just kind of accept. Peter says, repent. Repent. That's what you should do. Turn over your life, surrender your life. You don't just add this Jesus in to what you're already doing. You surrender. You you re- To repent means, man, I was going this way and I thought this is what I needed and I, I, I may, maybe I just need a little help from the, the moral you know, goodness of the church. And, and to repent goes, whoa, 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 that's not even the right way. Like I'm going to turn from my way and I'm turning to Jesus. That's what repenting means is, is to turn from our sin and turn toward Jesus. Peter says, that's what you do. That's the only response. That's hearing the words and doing them that Jesus was talking about. Repent, and be baptized. Every one of you, all of you are feeling. He doesn't say, you know what? Some of you have been really bad. You're going to need to repent and be baptized. Others of you, you're not terrible. Just do better and come over here. He doesn't say some of y'all are. You're close. You know we've had tryouts and we've, we've you know we've looked at your life and you're, you're not bad. We'll let you on the team. But others of you, you're going to have to be washed. You got to prove it. No, no. He says all of you, every one of you. It doesn't matter if you are the prostitute in the back who snuck in so nobody would know you were there, or if you're the religious righteous person who's always wore a suit and smiles and has given tons of money to the community. He says, all of you repent and be baptized. That's the only right response to this news of Jesus getting out of the grave, period. It's the only right response. He says, do it. Repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins can be forgiven. You say, Jordan, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but but he does, and this word is still true. You read these stories, you see that wicked, vile people are redeemed by Jesus. You can't out sin the blood of the cross. You can't out sin like it doesn't matter what you've done. Your sins can be forgiven, and 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 you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all don't know what that means. It just sounds like okay, so I'm talking tongues or be weird at, around other people and wear dresses. No, it's not what the Holy Spirit means. That means God is going to be in you. That the aching, that longing that you that drives you to the next thing in life, that drives you to try to get to that next level, the stuff we talked about, thinking that you'll get there. I don't know how old you are going to be when you realize you won't reach that point of satisfaction. There will always be a longing in you. In Ecclesiastes, he says, he put eternity in the heart of man, meaning we will long for God until we get him, and we can't get him on our own. It takes Jesus plucking us out of our sin, washing us clean, and setting us on a firm foundation. And then we get him. That's what it means to get the Holy Spirit. Is we get God. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and everyone who the Lord calls to himself. So he's, looking to, he's looking to Jews. He's looking to Gentiles. He's saying those of you who are, are pretty good by the world standards, those of you who are really terrible, this promise is for all of you. He calls you to himself. All who would call on the name of the Lord can be saved. And with many other words, he bore witness. This is revolutionary. This is history changing. So Peter spends more time explaining what has gone on. And he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Turn to Jesus. Like that's, that's the kind of response that is required from the news that Jesus is resurrected. We can't just, eh, cool. Where's the ham, right? Where's the eggs, right? Thanks for Friday off. No, this, this requires a response. Jesus says there will only be two sorts of people. There's not a third and a fourth. It's not the religious fanatics and, and then the, the heathens. It, it's not those who are good enough, and, you know, but then there's a, you know, these people will get a really good spot in heaven. They'll be on the starting five, but you know, at least as long as I'm on the bench, I'm cool. Like, no, it doesn't say that. It's either in, you're out, you're either with Jesus or you're not. It doesn't matter if you're religious to some degree or if you're a pagan that's never heard of him on an island. Like, you're in the same level of lostness. Until you surrender to Jesus, until your life has been totally transformed. And some of you, like some of you are going, wait, I didn't I didn't think like Jesus is talking about doing stuff. I thought this whole Christianity thing was about, you know, relationship and not religion. I didn't think I had to do stuff. Like, and you're right, it's not we don't do anything to earn our salvation, but it, the, the 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 reality that Jesus is saying is the good news that's being said here, if you truly hear it, believe it, and respond to it, it will lead to action. You don't start doing action in order to earn God's favor, but because you've been given God's favor, all of a sudden you start changing. You start living as the Sermon on the Mount says that we'll live. So I want you to imagine... Hearing this, I want you to imagine, Like it's possible that some of the same people that were in the crowds on the Sermon on the Mount here are are there in Jerusalem at Pentecost. I don't know, it's speculation, but it's very possible the the amount of crowd size that followed Jesus throughout his whole ministry. Imagine realizing in this moment, Peter connecting these dots for them. The man that you had heard teach with authority, the man that you had admired as he taught, the man that maybe you threw palm leaves down uh, on Palm Sunday as he came into Jerusalem and said, Hosanna, only to turn on him later to demand his death right, the man that you watched die, that 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 man was now alive again, that he had changed the lives of these apostles and these disciples, and that he was here confronting you with the power of this moment. Imagine that, that that's you. Would it make any sense to just go back to life as usual? It'd be crazy, wouldn't it? I think it's just as crazy for us to acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus and then go back to life as usual. They are struck with this news. They simply respond with, what are we we supposed to do? Clearly, life isn't the same anymore. Clearly, this is news that, that requires a response from me. And Peter says, repent, be baptized, turn your life over, build your life on Jesus this is the narrow way that leads to life. You find it, but when you do, you find life. And you find a firm footing, a foundation that will last, that transcends. That it doesn't say your life will be good. It doesn't say you don't get the storms anymore. But when they come, you'll have firm footing. Because you have a hope that transcends this world and this mess and this pain and this struggle. His name is Jesus. That's the good news of the resurrection. He, the world will conquer us. But he has conquered the world, and he extends that victory to us. He said, "What does that look like, Jordan? I'm not sure I could be a religious person. I'm not sure I fit in here. These are the nicest clothes I had, and I feel awkward, me too. I only wear a tie once a year or weddings, but so you're like, "I don't know. I don't know if I fit in here." Listen, don't let what you know about church or religious people set your paradigm up for what it means to follow Jesus. It's a very simple response. Will you repent and turn to him? We'll baptize you next week and get that done too. That's, that's most simply put a sign of obedience. that You've surrendered your life to him. Don't worry about what you're going to look like or how, if you fit. No, will you, will you respond today by repenting, turning over your life to Jesus? That is the question that will be asked of you on judgment day. And that is the question that will put you on firm foundation so that the storms don't mow you down. So, you've heard from Jesus. Like, you are now in the crowd of people that you've heard his words. What you do with them now determine where you head, what your life will be like. So, man, will you keep on going with a a good enough approach? You're just going to keep adding to that house, knowing the foundation will be washed away? Or... Will you surrender your life to King Jesus? Get a whole new life. Get a whole new foundation. A whole new hope. And he's good. And he's alive. And he's the Savior. You can throw yourself on him. He he is safe. I know for some of you, church hasn't been safe. You've seen weird people do crazy things. Maybe you've been harmed. And and it's just all you could do to even get here. But listen, Jesus... You can come to Him. He's our good Savior. He has, has His arms outstretched. He's made a way. You can turn to Him. You can enter the kingdom. You can become His own, and you can find life. Let's pray. God, help us. We need it. We need the, the reality check. We need to be sobered up and, and snapped out of our comfort in order to respond rightly to You. So I pray that in this room, and as Stacy prayed earlier, throughout our region and our state and the world, that your name would be glorified in such a way that we would have to respond and that we would see people get saved today, that we would see people run to you for the first time and for the rest of us, man, that we would be rejuvenated by this, our Jesus, who is victorious and shares that victory with us, that we would leave here invigorated, that we would worship with these last two songs with all that we have because, Lord, you are worthy to come, Lord Jesus, have your way.